0: Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 20th of July, I'm Robert Barwick, and joining me today is CEC researcher and editor Richard Barden. Welcome, Richard. Thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, warning, Putin-Trump meeting raises danger of peace. And Russian meddling MH17 are not facts. Before we begin, though, Richard, because we're going to devote the whole segment to this subject today, because we've had such a historic meeting at the start of the week between um, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Uh, I just will just quickly show for our regular viewers, the latest from Perth is actually a, um, Barry Mason is running television ads in his, as the CEC's candidate for the Perth by-election over there, which is coming up in um, a couple of weeks' time, twenty eighth of July. So just look at one of the ads that Barry Mason is running on Perth. TV at the moment. Barry Mason is your Citizens Electoral Council candidate for the Perth by-election. Barry and the CEC are fighting to fix a banking system which is not working for everyday Australians. Banks make housing unaffordable by betting on mortgages, they starve farmers and small businesses of credit, and they ruin customers through risky investments. The CEC solution is called Glass-Steagall. Break up the banks so they cannot gamble our deposits or fleeces for bigger profits. So vote one Barry Mason on the 28th of July. Authorised by Barry Mason, CEC Perth. So people in Perth should get involved, still get involved, if you want to support the fight for Glass-Steagall and breaking up the banks and fixing up the financial system in Australia before there's a crash, get involved by supporting Barry's campaign and we can put the uh, contact details up on the screen. And you can also call in if you re- and get a copy of the CEC's Australian Alert Service. Um, which everyone today, should, if you're interested in what we talk about want more details, get it from the Australian Alert Service and call in on our toll-free number. All right, so first, warning, Putin-Trump meeting raises danger of peace. And sorry to be so melodramatic, but you've got to take the you-know-what out of the media coverage this week. It's as if, um, you know, Hitler and Stalin have met. Mm. Right. Plot to take over the world. That's, that's, the, that's the emotional reaction to what's happened when in fact the opposite is true. The two leaders, what's happened is entirely positive. The two leaders of the world's two biggest superpowers, nuclear with, with nu- sorry, nuclear superpowers, mm. the two with, biggest nuclear arsenals.
1: Yeah, with 90% of the
0: world's nuclear weapons between them. Exactly. Something like that. 90% have met and got along. And everybody else in the world should think, well, that's pretty good. Right. And in fact, I did notice, uh, Richard, in the media coverage lead up to it, because Donald Trump's such a loose cannon and all that, the, the, the self-righteous um, media was expressing concern that, oh, boy, you know, after what he did to the his allies in the EU and, and uh, uh, all those in those meetings in the G7, etc., let's just hope he gets along. And I remember thinking, I don't think you guys really mean that because the <laughs> truth came out. But he did get along. The reaction has been poisonous. Yeah. Um, And the media has really gone over the top, and so today we're going to address a lot of that um, in in what we go through. Here's what people have to understand to see it, as I've just expressed it, as a very positive thing. You may not have been paying attention to it, but if you have been paying attention to the general geopolitical sphere in the last decade or more, you would share our concern, the CEC's concern, and the concern of many other people around the world. That, the, that we've been in a very dangerous place. And arguably, a lot of people have said, more dangerous than the Cold War. Yeah, including people who were high-level experts in the
1: US government during the Cold War.
0: Exactly. And so a lot of people have been concerned, well, if that's the danger, we've never had a greater danger of nuclear war. Right, than in the last little period, and that's mm. why this is so positive. So, but I, I've thought of a great way to contrast this, because you're not getting this from the media, right? you're just getting this one-sided thing as if it's all negative. Um, one of the people that I think would be very happy with what happened this week mm. is the late Malcolm Fraser, the former Prime Minister of Australia. He was one of the senior statesmen of the world who had been very concerned about where the world had gone in the last period. right? Mm. In the the few years before he died, the CEC developed a collaboration with Malcolm Fraser on this question, also on the question of of, of, um, fighting for Glass-Steagall, as it turned Mm. out. But we started off on this, our shared concern that the the enmity between America and Russia and also with China was putting the world in danger of nuclear war. So on the 20th, I want you to watch a a segment of of an interview Malcolm Fraser did on the 20th of March. 2014, just at the time of the Ukraine coup, Mm. where the Western-backed neo-Nazis had had been used to overthrow the Ukrainian government to try and get Ukraine out of Russia's sphere of influence. Malcolm Fraser did an interview on Russia Today, and this is the last five minutes of that interview, and you'll see the way he expresses his concerns and about where the world is heading and what should be done about it.
2: Now, Mr. Fraser, you just mentioned that President Putin... uh, has been receiving a lot of bad press in the West, including Australia, and I wonder Uh, Why do you think uh, the West finds him so disagreeable? Because uh, as it seems from Moscow, he actually, his rhetoric has been quite conciliatory. He actually, as far as I'm concerned, he tried not to spoil the relations with the West uh, completely, but for some reason he is almost portrayed in those uh, demonic colors in the West. Why is he so disliked by uh, by Western politicians and by Western public?
3: Western countries, Western politicians, have contributed to this, uh, have been very short-sighted, and have been incapable of looking at the larger picture. Whether they've played to what they think is populist sentiment or not, I don't know. But it's very important that the West, European Union, America and Russia, and China also, all get on together. And that's essential if there's going to be a peaceful world. And therefore, you don't do things that are going to create mistrust. Now, President Putin said something about the anti-ballistic missile facilities that the second President Bush wanted to place in Poland and, I think, Czechoslovakia. He claimed they were aimed at Iran. Well, if I were Russian, I would say they're not aimed at Iran, they're aimed at Russia. And that I would have regarded as a, a hostile move, compounding, NATO's move to the boundaries of Russia. And you've got to try and build a better world. You've got to try and build trust. And you don't do that by behaving as though a Cold War is still in place. Now, putting those ABM sites in those two countries, to me, was behaving as though the Cold War was still alive and well, shifting NATO. East, even though President Gorbachev believed he had an agreement that it should not. I think he was wrong on that, but he had certainly argued for it very strongly. Um, I think uh, doing that was a provocation and not conducive to establishing the kind of trust and cooperation which is so necessary if there is to be a real peace and real cooperation.
2: You just mentioned uh, China uh, as an important player, and what's interesting to me is that in your uh, op-ed in The Guardian, you also mentioned China as the country that uh, has been facing this policy of containment from the United States, rather than the policy of engagement and cooperation that you advocate for. Um, And uh, I'm sure Chinese, like Russians, have increasingly less tolerance for this language of force. Do you see that as a source of potential tension, probably similar to the ones that we've seen uh, these days over Ukraine?
3: Well, the United States speaks with two voices to China. On the one hand, they say they want strategic cooperation, they want economic cooperation, social cooperation. And on the other hand, uh, they tighten, they strengthen their defenses from Japan, south through Australia, around uh, Singapore, and even now talking of making India a strategic partner. Um, My Chinese friends say, which America are we to believe? The one that talks cooperation, or the one that is seeking to strengthen its already very powerful military forces? And we we shouldn't forget, in these circumstances, that China's military expenditure is about 8% of the world's total, America is about 42% of the world's total. The balance of military expenditure, um, overwhelmingly, it's American. And is that the way to build peace? America tried in Vietnam, they tried in Iraq, they're trying in Afghanistan, as Russia did, and all three are going to end as failures. Mm -hmm. So, the United States hasn't come to understand that a good political outcome is very difficult to obtain through military means.
2: Mr. uh, Fraser, in in just a few uh, moments that we we have left, uh, you are one of the few remaining Cold War veterans. And uh, you said previously that, quote, those who thought the Cold War was over and who hoped for a better world are now being proved wrong. Is it really that bad?
3: you have to be an optimist. We have to hope for a better world and leaders who will understand how to achieve it.
0: And if you're interested, you can watch that whole interview on YouTube. But what you see there is, is, this, is this is Malcolm Fraser really laying it out where things have to go. Therefore, I think that he would look at what's happened this week as very positive, mm, because it's definitely. exactly what he called for, yep. right? That said, Richard, he would would be very shocked that it's Donald Trump delivering it. (laughs)
1: Um, You you could hardly imagine two more different characters. No,
0: absolutely. Malcolm Fraser was very reserved. He was very distinguished. He was very polite. He would have been superficially shocked by many things that Donald... The the superficial stuff about Donald Trump and even a lot of Donald Trump's policies. But on this, Mm. he would emphatically support it as the right thing. Anyway, so just briefly, here's what was actually discussed in the meeting between Trump and Putin which has all been swamped by all this hysteria that's happened ever since. Putin said in the meeting as the world's biggest nuclear powers we bear special responsibility for international security. They discussed enhanced military cooperation in Syria and aid for Syria. They Putin agreed that consideration must be given to Israel's security concerns which of course is a special big American issue, with issue Trump as well, with Trump, right? Exactly a new start treaty on nuclear weapons right which has been a very important part of keeping the cold war yeah, under wraps over the, the years that's um,
1: the strategic arms reduction treaty or the modern uh, yeah. version
0: thereof yeah exactly to actually get these nuclear weapons down uh, ballistic missile defense they discussed which is that specific thing that Malcolm Fraser talked about that has been the one of the, probably the biggest cause of the danger between the two countries uh, working groups on anti-terrorism and cyber security in fact Putin offered cooperation on the investigation around supposed Russian hacking in the context of such a working group, right? Because mm. he knows there's, they're not going to find anything. Yeah. Uh, typical Putin judo move, that one. That's right. Uh, two other working groups, actually. Um, one between captains of business from both countries on economic cooperation and a grouping of scientists, scholars, former diplomats and military officers to think about ways to promote further cooperation mm. between the two countries. Right, yeah, areas of common interest, and the big, the final one was peace in North Korea and Russia helping towards that, and cooperation with China. And um, uh, Trump called, said, our mutual friend, President Xi, and that bodes well for the whole world. If those yeah. big three cooperate for peace and prosperity, the whole world can move forward. Yeah. Right, that's what the actual summit was about. When we come back. We're going to spend the next two segments talking about all the hysteria about what it wasn't about. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Russian meddling MH17 are not facts. And Richard, in the media furore since this. This word facts has been bandied around a lot, right? These are the facts of the matter. Yep. Irrefutable facts. Irrefutable yeah. facts. Now, um, I'm reminded of a line from my favourite movie. <laughs> Shouldn't admit to that. The Princess Bride, <laughs> um, where. Inigo Montoya says, you keep saying this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. (laughs) Because what they are calling facts is this. This this is no more factual than the claims of weapons of mass destruction in 2003. Yeah, in Iraq, yeah. All it has, if the, to the the viewer has to understand, if the media and the intelligence agencies are telling you something is facts, Mm. that's the proof that it's not. All right? So let's just take it from there for a given, as a given. But we're going to go through them now. We put out a press release on this today. We're going to go through them now, so you can read in detail in the press release, but I want Richard, who's um, the expert on this, to, to answer my questions on it. So the first big fact, Richard, is that Russia hacked the, D- the Democratic National Committee. This was the hacking of the election. Mm-hmm. So the first question was, was the DNC actually hacked? Well, according to
1: experts who examined the, um, the material that was released by WikiLeaks, which remember has a 100% record for authenticity of its material, and nobody's disputed that, including the US intelligence agencies. That that material was genuine. That Hillary really did rig the primary. Hillary and the DNC rigged the primaries against Sanders. All of that. Yeah, all the all the details that came out. Yeah, in all the the, leaks, they're all real. Nobody dismissed that. that, nobody real, yeah. that. Yep. So, but uh, some experts um, or uh, a gentleman goes by the name Forensicator um, did the analysis, and it was verified by William Binney, the former technical director of the uh, U.S. National Security Agency. Uh, another gentleman who was the, uh, the former head of um, IT at IBM Corporation, um, the American division of that, they said that there's no way this material was hacked because the download speed that's um, evident in the metadata, which is the information about the data that's recorded yeah. along with it, um, that they said uh, they downloaded... Uh, They copied 1,976 megabytes of data in 87
0: seconds. 1.9 gigabytes in 87 seconds. And if you've ever ever tried to download a movie, you'd be lucky to get those speeds. Yep. So that's much faster than what's physically possible with a hack.
1: Um, And it appears that this hack didn't happen at all and that the uh, second release of documents um, that wasn't put out through WikiLeaks that contained these so-called uh, Russian fingerprints, really amateurish stuff that no professional had to do. Prints. Digital yeah, fingerprints. Di- digital everything. fingerprints, Cyrillic lettering, references to names and so on. Um, so th- these appear to have been synthetically tainted with these uh, Russian fingerprints, uh, presumably to implicate Russian
0: intelligence. Yep, yep. It re- reminds me of a, um, of a Far Side cartoon with a dog trying to pin the blame on the cat for um, uh, stealing the food. But anyway, <laughs> I'll see if I can find that put on the screen. <laughs> Uh, all right, second question. Did all se- all 17 US intelligence agencies, that was the claim, yeah, did was- they all find the Kremlin responsible for hacking? No, that was Hillary's shtick um, in the uh, final presidential
1: debate, but no, they didn't. Um, only three, to, well, four... Um, to varying degrees of confidence, which is a legally meaningless term.
0: And one of these 17 agencies had something to do with the Coast Guard anyway yeah, 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 for yeah. crying out. Like they, they wouldn't have even yeah, been they interested. Wouldn't, they wouldn't have had
1: anything to say on it any input, in any case. Yeah. Um, no, the, uh, the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence is James Clapper, a perjurer by the way, who lied to Congress that the NSA wasn't uh, collecting information on Americans. Three months before Snowden proved that they were and spying on everyone else as well, they uh, they put out a paper. The the Department of Homeland Security and Clapper's office put out a, a one-page statement asserting that the U.S. intelligence community was confident that this is what had happened, that the Russian government had directed these compromises, but they didn't give any evidence. Um, that was on. That was in um, October 2016.
0: Well, one of, the other fam- one of the other people involved in all this, John Brennan, who was the former CIA director, he once famously said recently, uh, I deal in intelligence, not evidence. <laughs> they don't have evidence for what they talk about anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then um,
0: second report
1: on the 29th of December of 2016 um, was put out by the DHS again, uh, the FBI, uh, and released by, um, I think that one was, th- th- these were all released by Clapper's office, but... but the curious thing about this them. one
0: involving the FBI is that did the FBI actually look at the no. machines that were supposedly hacked?
1: No, they never did. The, um, they never actually looked at the DNC server. That was, the forensic analysis on that supposedly was done by a private company called CrowdStrike, whose founder and chief technology officer is uh, one of these anti, uh, anti-Russian ideologues Guy called Dmitry Alperovich works for the Atlantic Council, which is one of these Cold War hangover um, yep. think tanks that's sponsored by the U.S. armaments industry. The, yeah. Promotes the war and the regime change in Syria, regime and change kind of anywhere and everywhere. Yep. All of that yep. typical neocon stuff.
0: Yep. All right. Well, look on this. So there's more of this on the, on those questions of the actual hacking. We'll take a break. And when we're going to come back, we'll talk about what's been brought up in the Australian context, which is also which is MH17. Welcome back to the CEC report, where we're discussing Russian meddling MH17 are not facts. And there's a particularly Australian flavour to the to the freak out about the Trump-Putin summit here, which is that, oh, how come Trump didn't take on Putin about MH17? And it's very disturbing, and I, I want to be sensitive about it, that, you know, there's a, Australian family members mm. or victims of MH17 have been brought into this. Yeah. Now, I fully understand what they're saying, but... That we're not taking issue with that. We're taking issue with what they've been told are facts about the case yeah. because they're not facts. So let's just go through those. First of all, what is the GIIT investigation and is it reliable? No, the, the,
1: the, the, the JIT, the Joint Investigation Team um, Investigating MH17, it's uh, Australia, the Netherlands. Um, and the Netherlands had the most victims aboard yeah. the plane. Um, Belgium, for some reason. A uh, second NATO member, perhaps. Yeah, Ukraine, which is one of the suspects, and shouldn't be involved in the investigation unless Russia is, and unless it's done openly, which I'll get to. Yeah. Um, and uh, Malaysia, who owned the plane, of course, but and had many victims aboard as well, but their, um, they were excluded from the investigation until it had all been set up by those others. They were kept out. Well,
0: that's strange. For three months, by itself. Yep.
1: Until November of 2014. So no, it's it's not reliable, and the Ukrainian security service has veto over any information that's uh, that they're that they're allowed to release or talk As about evidence. in public um, on on the basis of their national security concerns. And of course, the current government's big national security concern is trying to get everyone else to gang up on Russia for them. That's right.
0: So, um, and of course, from the West standpoint, they're, they're they're desperate to keep Ukraine in their sphere of influence and away yeah. from Russia. So. Any question that Ukraine might also be a suspect in this is just being papered over. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's, it's, uh, so if one of the su- there's two suspects, Russia and Ukraine, one of them's in the investigation. It's a BS investigation. <laughs> yeah. Has everyone involved except the fin- accepted the findings?
1: No, the Malaysian government has not. Um, actually, re- they've rejected them. The new government under um, Mahatia, who came back in a few months ago in the uh, election, the transport minister, um, and I'll read the quote here. Anthony Loke, his name is, uh, he was asked in an interview um, how he would respond to these accusations that this Russian missile brigade shot down MH17. And he said straight out, quote, there is no conclusive evidence to point at Russia under the JRT's evidence. And of course, we have to take into account our diplomatic relations and so on. So any further actions, that's sanctions and so on, any further actions will be based on conclusive evidence, the implication being that the previous ones were not, which of course is the case.
0: And finally, let's get a little bit technical, has the investigation proved it was a Russian book missile?
1: No, no, not at all. Um, the book was a common system used by all of the, you know, the Soviet Union, of course, all these post-Soviet states, several of them still had them after the um, Soviet Union broke down. But um, some of their clients, states, and, and customers use them as well. No, the, the Russians do use um, book systems, but their new one, um, they've retired all of the older Soviet models from service. Now, this identification of this as a Russian missile depends on these three little bow tie shaped fragments that were supposedly pulled out of the wreckage. But when they've, uh, when the company that makes these things made some available for test blasts and put it all on broadcast it all live on television so they couldn't fake anything. Yeah. These things put hundreds of bow tie shaped holes in the fuselage of the of the aircraft, oh, as you would expect. Yeah. Um, there's no damage matching that on MH seventeen on okay. any of the photographs that they show. Um, Whereas apparently the Ukrainians did have the, the old ones. The Ukrainians, they because they're broke and all the rest of it, they still use these um, Missile. These older book systems that are past their service life, um, that have the same similar blast pattern, but they don't have these strike elements. So again, that makes them more of a suspect than the Russians.
0: Exactly. Well, look, what we're trying to do here is just show there's enough to to, to point out that what they've claimed as facts are not mm-hmm. right. Read our press release on it. It'll be up on our website uh, today. And call in and get a copy of the Australian Alert Service. But don't take this view of it. Look forward to the fact we might have peace with Russia and the United States. Thanks Richard. Thanks to the viewers. Mm